Hey, special educators, I'm Jennifer from Positively Learning. Welcome to the Special Educators Resource Room. If you're like me, you're always looking for ways to save time and streamline your work. That's why this podcast was created to give you the systems and solutions you need to get your time back. Tune in for tips, tricks, and tools that will help you manage your workload and make the most of your time. Whether you're brand new or experienced, all are welcome in the Special Educators Resource Room. The Tale of Two Special Educators. Hey, it's Jennifer from Positively Learning. Thanks for tuning in. I have a quick story time for you. There once was two special educators, and they worked at the same school. One worked with the younger grades, mostly K through two, and the other worked with mid to upper elementary, mostly grades three through four. Their roles were very similar. They served their caseload both with push-in services in the inclusion classroom setting and pull-out services in the resource room. But that is where the similarities ended. The special educator who worked with the younger students loved teaching. She also loved lesson planning. She just got so excited, making sure the objectives was exactly what her students needed, that the assessment matched the objective, and the activities. Oh my goodness. She loved searching and looking for the perfect activities, the ones that she knew would be the game changer. Her students would be so engaged. The light bulbs would go off. Now, if she had six groups in one day, which she most often did, she would have at least 18 activities planned. That's three per group. We probably needed even more working with such young students who just whipped through activities. As much as she loved this creative part of her role, she was getting tired. It was a lot of prep work, which she chose to do, and she understood that, but it was still so much. She was always laminating, printing, cutting out things. The other part that kind of bothered her was that sometimes her students did not love these activities. They fell short. They just weren't exactly what they needed. Or maybe something else was going on in the classroom that day that was impacting learning. Maybe it was a assessment that didn't go well or some other behavior impact on the classroom and these activities just kind of fell off to the side. So all of that extra prep work, which she was totally on board with doing, just didn't pan out. And she knew there had to have been a better way. All right, now let's talk about the other educator. This other educator who worked with grades three and four also loved teaching. She loved working with her students and seeing their progress. But what she didn't love was any type of prepping and planning. Her motto was, give me the lesson plan. I will teach the heck out of it. I don't need all that time looking for it, researching it, daydreaming about it, thinking about it, prepping it. No, just hand it to me and off I go. Something that was impacting her lessons was that although she was teaching grades three and four, she had many students who were not near that grade level. So they may be needing something like phonemic awareness, and that was not part of the gen ed curriculum. So she didn't have the resources. Okay, I'm going to pause the story here and ask you a question. Which teacher are you? Are you the teacher who loves finding that perfect activity and you get pretty excited about the possibilities? Or are you the other teacher who really just does not even want to think about that? Just give me what I need and I'll take care of the rest. Or maybe you're a little bit of both. 
Now confession time. I am the first teacher and this is a true story. I absolutely love teaching and I always get excited about the lesson activity. Now we know that that is not the most important part. It's the lesson, it's the objective. But the activity, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to think about my students' faces and how excited they would be. Now, this other teacher, I did work with her and I have mad respect for her. She is just a really neat person and she would often come into my classroom because she was looking for an activity to meet her students where they were. And maybe it was a phonemic awareness activity that they just didn't cover in grades three and four. So she would ask me for an activity and what I really admired about her was that she could take one task box and maybe it is a phonemic awareness task box and she would teach it all day long for every group she worked with, whether it was a literacy group, a math group, an SEL group, she could find a teachable moment and she could just teach the heck out of it. And I loved that about her. I also learned so much from her. I learned that I can get more out of an activity. So I can still keep my love of planning and imagining my students' faces, yet I could get more out of that activity so I didn't have to plan so much. I could take that task box and use it in multiple ways. Thanks for sticking with that long story. Now let's talk about these task boxes, something that you are probably already preparing. Now we know that the main purpose of task boxes is to grow our students' independence, period, the end. However, we also need to protect ourselves, right? Especially from burnout. How can we get more out of these activities that we are carefully choosing and preparing? Let's do this. Get ready to write down these ideas. Just kidding. I already put them in a blog post. I'll put that in the show notes. Okay, first things first. At the beginning of a lesson, I love to use task boxes for a quick warm-up, whether it's to activate prior knowledge, gauge where my students are from the previous lesson, what they remember, what we still need to work on, or to use them as a hook. My favorite warm-up activity is called Guess My Sort. I love to do a quick sorting activity. I don't say anything. I'm just sorting the cards. And I like to move pretty quickly. I find that when I move quickly like that, it seems to be more engaging for my students. And the idea is that they have to guess how I'm sorting. Now, I don't let students blurt it out, but I say, oh, if you know how I'm sorting, touch your nose or just some other fun gesture. And so, you know, everyone's touching their nose. And instead of having a student tell me how I'm sorting, like, oh, by syllables or by long and short vowels, instead... I'll say, don't tell me, show me. And I'll hand them the next card and they have to put it into the correct pile. And that way I can give them a quick thumbs up, thumbs down, or, oh, you know, that's not it. Who else can do it? And we'll just go through this a little bit. It's a quick activity, maybe three or four minutes. Also can use task cards, of course, for guided practice. They are great visuals that you can use as you are modeling and then gradually releasing the activity for students' independent practice. So they can work independently while they're at the small group table with you. You can use observation, which then turns task cards into a assessment. So you can have differentiated task cards, different levels. They can be differentiated by the actual task or the task could remain the same and the answer choices are differentiated. I love using performance tasks for assessment because I feel like the data is so valid. I'm not taking data on how my students are interacting with software, but instead 
on how they're doing with that actual skill because they're already so familiar with our task box routine and they're engaged in a developmentally appropriate activity. So that is why I love grabbing a quick data point, just using observation. I can grab a quick yes, no, yes, no, or plus minus as my students are interacting with the task. This is how I was using task boxes over the years and why I'm so obsessed with them. Is this how to set up a task box system in a traditional sense? Maybe yes, maybe no, but I definitely was getting so much more out of them and saving so much time. I really had learned from observing my special education colleague. Now I've gathered all of these ideas and I turned it into a curriculum. I call it the task box lesson plans. And the first unit is done. It's 40 lessons. There will be four units. So you're going to have an entire year. You could take one of these lessons and teach it in one small group, or you can extend it throughout an entire week. There's enough in there. So there are warmups, guided practice, differentiation extensions, and even a place to collect data and includes the tasks. So there's at least two tasks for every single lesson. They are done for you. All you need to do is teach the heck out of it, to quote my special education colleague. There is one teaching tool that you may want to add to this curriculum, and that is a dry erase board and a marker. That's it. Otherwise, you are ready to teach your small intervention groups. Now, there are lesson plans in a scope and sequence, task cards, and data tracking. But you can also edit the lesson plans and mix up the order of the scope and sequence to match what your students need. I will put images of all of this in the blog post so you can take a look and see exactly what it looks like. I always welcome feedback, questions, suggestions, so that I can make this exactly what you need. Definitely hop over to the blog post if you're ready to save some time and take a closer look at these done for you lesson options. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you next time in the special educators resource room. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'm dying to ask, what'd you think? Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe buttons so that you never miss an episode. You can find the show notes and links for everything mentioned in this episode at PositivelyLearningBlog.com. See you next week for more special education solutions.